Hi, and welcome to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. Every week we watch a movie and sit down here to talk about it. I'm Mel. I'm Katie. And we're your hosts. This week we watched Noah, directed by Darren Aronofsky and released in 2014. Noah is a modern retelling of the story of Noah from the Bible. Noah is chosen by God to undertake a momentous mission of rescue before an apocalyptic flood destroys the world. So my first thought on Noah mm. is that it is the – it's very Aronofskyan. It, yeah, it is, I guess. But, like, to be fair, I've only seen a couple of Aronofsky films. I've seen um, – I've only seen, I think, Black Swan and The Fountain. I've seen The Fountain and The Magician one. Oh, is that an Aronofsky one there as well? There is an Aronofsky Either magician. Either the Prestige or the Illusionist? Yeah, I think he might have done the Illusionist. I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll IMDb that quickly now. But yeah, I've seen I that. get those two mixed up. Yeah, me too. Actually, I, I don't. I know exactly which one's which. They just came out at the same time. So I don't know who directed them and stuff. Do you know what? He didn't actually do either of those. Oh, really? I'm just m- making stuff up. No, he, he. Yeah, so I really. Actually, this is only my second one Noah so and the else? Fountain. I I don't, it just seemed Aronofskyan. I don't know. That's, that's, I think I wanted to say that because I don't think either of us enjoyed it and I don't think my uh, viewing companion enjoyed it very much. But I think if you are an Aronofsky fan, I don't want to put you off it by what we're about to say for the more general movie fans. I'm perfectly happy to put people off it. I don't think it was that good. I don't even think it was – like, I actually think The Fountain was better and I think Black Swan was better. I think both of those movies, even though I didn't enjoy them that much, were both – better than Noah. And I think that's because it's actually a failing on a filmmaking level mm. because it's not just that it's too pompous and too heavy and too serious. It's also that it like the story doesn't really move. Like even with the fountain with all its interweaving weird bits, there were parts of the story that were really good. Yeah, yeah. And Black Swan really moves. Like Black Swan I think is his most I mean, of the ones I've seen, I have not seen Requiem for a Dream, and I don't think I'm ever going to. I don't think I can put myself through that. But of the ones I've seen, Black Swan really is the most sort of well-put-together movie, Mm. like in terms of it moving well and and being well-structured as a story and stuff. And I think this doesn't do that. Yeah, I think it's it's really struggling to make up drama because the story itself is very spare. And I went back and read the book bits of the Bible that this is based on because I thought I just wanted to kind of refresh my memory. And I'm I'm glad I did because then I understood what the heck the rock monsters were, even though they're not that's they're non canonical. I kinda of, I knew what they were getting at with the rock monsters. The story itself is like it's you could read it in about fifteen minutes. It's like four chapters. And it is it is really spare. It just basically tells this story. And I think they felt like they had to manufacture some drama. And now the thing is the real drama of the story, which I think they were trying to go for and I don't think they quite succeeded, is that when it comes down to it, Noah has to knowingly stand by while the rest of the human population dies except him and his immediate family. No, he doesn't have to knowingly stand by and watch them. He has to actively not help them. In a lot of scenes, he has to actively not help people. Like, And even in the Bible, he's, he has to actively not, not, not just stand by and watch them. But not offer them a space on the mm. on the boat, not yeah. help them when they're all dying outside. Like, he has to... I mean, the movie's all about choice, but, like, he does have to choose not to help them. And the thing is, like, from a very non-religious perspective, what it seemed to me in this movie, um, the main struggle was between blind faith and actually thinking for yourself. Because, like, 
if Noah did all the things that he thought God was supposed to, God wanted him to do, he was acting on blind faith. He was just acting on faith, mm-hmm. right? He was going, yes, you know everything and I know nothing and I can't think about things critically. And this is another point with Ham, poor long-suffering Ham, played by Logan Lerman, who is um, Noah's second son. Mm. And who, like Noah, has a really short haircut. Very strange. Um, no, uh, well, it depends on what time period Noah's in. Sometimes it's long, sometimes it's short. Yeah, Old but Noah no, gets short. Ham has... Hey, you're here. Ham has a buzz cut. Yeah, Ham has a buzz cut. Don't know how. And Noah sometimes has a buzz cut. And you're like, well, they have great razors for being biblical times. <laughs> but that's not the point. Um, He is like, he's sort of one of the villains of the piece in a lot of ways for being criti- a critical thinker and not just going, oh, my dad said I had to do something, so I'm just going to do it. Like, it's such a frustrating thing. And it's kind of like Edmund in... um. In Narnia. I don't know Narnia all that well, so you'll have to... Yeah, okay, cool. Um, I trust you. Who is... Like, there's four kids. Three of them literally do nothing in the book, basically. Especially the girls do nothing in the book, apart from um, the youngest one finds Narnia. Mm. Um, But in the movie, they're all a bit more fleshed out. Mm. But Edmund is... Like, he is the one who... Uh, goes to Narnia and meets the White Witch and uh, sort of becomes friends with her Mm. and falls under her spell. But it's all about, like, doubting and, you know, if you doubt, then you're a bad person because you're able to think for yourself and, like, start questioning things and stuff. And that's bad. Mm. It's a very frustrating thing. See, to me, Noah is the villain of the piece. Like, honestly, by the end, he's the villain and you feel sorry for him. But that, to me... I don't know. There was just so many other problems that got in the way of my even following that story. Yeah, that's well. That's the thing. I think if you're not religious, Noah's just a bad guy. I mean, he is just a bad guy. Like if you, I, I, I went from, with someone who was religious and they didn't like it. In fact, they hated it. Yeah, more no, than I did. I don't mean the movie oh, itself. Right. <laughs> I mean him. Yeah. Like him. Like listening to God and then going, um, yes, I will build this ark and and I will do what you want me to do and I will help you yeah. know wipe humanity off the face of the earth as being a good thing is I think if you if you are a religious person then you might at least go along with that mm. part of it yes yes and for me God. right from the start I was like no you're being a jerk well see I don't and he's being so superior yeah well, I'm I'm because I am okay with the idea of. Sometimes in you know fantasy and sci-fi and mythology, people get talked to by higher powers or other people who tell them what to do. People, people who hear voices aren't always necessarily bad guys. I'm okay with that. But and I don't want to be all the book was better, but the book was better. And so, but in the book, God, it's not like God just comes to him in a series of dreams and there's like it, there's room for interpretation or there's any kind of waffle around it. Like God actually comes to him. He says, "I want you to do." This, it's going to be hard. You can take these people and you need to do exactly this. He, my friend, um, when I said I was going to see it, I posted like a bit of the Bible story and it's the bit about the ark has to be this many cubits long and this many cubits high. And my friend says that's the world's first bit of technical writing. And I'm like, yeah, God literally gives Noah a requirement specification. There's no doubt about what he's been asked to do. Whereas the movie tries to, firstly, it makes him look mad by having God only talk to him through dreams or random happenstance or weird apparitions. And it also leaves it open to interpretation. Like, 
Bible God does not leave it open to interpretation. Bible God says you have to do this, this, and this. You can only save these and these. Right. There's a couple of points I want to bring up about that. Firstly, I don't think all the people in fantasy who, you know, hear voices are bad guys. That's not what I was trying to imply. No, I I just mean that I'm open to the idea of them not being bad guys. Uh, Yeah. I mean, that's not what I meant. Mm. What I meant was he's making these decisions and he is being really, really self-righteous and annoying about it and acting like he's better than everybody else and it really irritates me. Oh, yeah. And he makes all the decisions for everybody, especially women, but also children. And, mm-hmm. you know, it just like, it, it's not that he's hearing ba- voices, it's that he just blindly goes along with all of it. Yeah. Like he just goes, oh, yeah, God wants me to do this. I will do all of it and just be awful about it. Yeah. And I think, again, if you wanted to make a really interesting story about this, you'd show him struggling with that. Because yeah. that and the would, other thing. Yeah. That would be more interesting. Um, that I wanted to bring up about that was that mm. you. It would be really difficult to make a movie like the one that you said because it doesn't give the protagonist any agency. Mm. And you can't really have a good movie that has no agency for the protagonist. The Mm. protagonist has to make choices. And this is one of those interesting things about making biblical epics, of course, because a lot of this, and especially biblical epic around this particular story because he doesn't have any agency in it. This is where they ran into all their problems because they had to, like, manufacture some drama. To make it happen? Not and all their problems. They didn't have to manufacture, manufacture the drama that they did. It is so sexist. Oh, yeah. This is the central point. It's more sexist than the Bible. Mm. The Bible story on which this is based is less sexist than this movie. Yeah. Like, it, we cut out two well, female char- adult female characters just gone from the whole thing. We don't overtly have wives for the two sons. There's... um. The whole baby storyline, like, dear Lord, that's definitely not in the yeah, original. But creepy it, CG babies. Well, yeah, the whole putting, the whole Noah doesn't want humanity, like, Noah doesn't want anyone to survive after him. He wants all humanity wiped out. That, in the Bible, that decision is never put in his hands. Mm. So God actually tells him to make sure you take your wife and your sons and their wives and I think there were, and, and indeed in the Bible story, he goes on to have more children and the sons go on to have more children. And that's kind of the whole point. That family has been chosen to continue the human race. And that choice is never put in Noah's hands. Like, I guess it's there to give him some agency, but it really stuffs everything up. And it's and it's just horribly sexist. Like, I was expecting a bit of sexism because it's the Bible and the Bible basically invented sexism in our culture. But it was worse than that. Mm. It's so, it, it is... Um, women are baby machines. That's all they're good for. Mm. Literally all they're good for. If you are a barren woman, then you have no purpose in life. But then magically she gets to be pregnant and then she has twin girls. And he's like, if you have girls, I will kill them. Mm. If you have a boy, he's okay. If you have girls, let's kill them. Yeah, because they could be mothers. Because that, again, is their only purpose because they're girls. Right. That's their only purpose is that they could be mothers. I mean, like, and then all the women in the movie, they only get involved when their kids are threatened. Mm. They only stand up to him when their kids are threatened. That's it. Their only purpose is to be hysterical while he threatens their children, basically. And Jennifer Connelly does some weird <laughs> very Over early emoting. pregnancy tests. Oh, Right. And, yeah. And then there's all the, that's like. And the magical glow cubes. Yeah. I don't know what the magical glow cubes are meant to be, but there's also some kind of, uh, I was about to say Iron Age, but this is even earlier than that. This is supposed to be five to 
7,000 years ago and there's some kind of early pregnancy test because Jennifer Connelly, the uber mother, the uber mother, is like a herbalist extraordinaire and she knows how to do magical pregnancy tests. And magical sleeping potions for animals and all sorts Mm -hmm. of weird things. Oh, my God, it's so awful. It's just so awful. And so, like, Emma Watson was the best part of this movie for me. Yep. Jennifer Connelly did over-emote. Like, she was just, like, literally hysterical for most of her scenes or not responding at all. Hmm. She was either not reacting or hysterical. And she's a good actress. I like Jennifer Connelly, but not in this. Um, Emma Watson, like, when she was crying and holding the babies and trying to get them to calm down before he killed them, I really felt for her. Mm. Like, even though I hated the whole thing and she had weird CG babies, I still felt for her because I thought she was really good. Yeah, she was. Like, she was really good in this movie, but that's not enough to make up for anything. Russell Crowe just annoys me more in everything I see him in. Um, well, so this is what maps upsets me because I actually think Russell Crowe is quite a good actor and I've enjoyed him in the past and I thought – Yeah, did he- you see Les Mis? Because I've did. hated him since Les Mis. Well, the only problem I had with Les Mis was his singing. Like, that was the only problem I really had with it. I didn't have any trouble with his performance. It was the singing that was his a problem. His performance was boring. There's but- really only one Javert that I've ever liked and that was Philip Quast. Right, on stage. From Play School. Yeah. That's the thing. Russell Crowe, I always think – he's not doing a good job and then suddenly halfway through I find myself completely compelled by the performance and that's been my experience with him not in this I just disliked him more and more as it went on like he don't it's called Noah but Noah is the villain and you don't want anything to do with Noah and by the end he's just drunk and passed out which is biblical by the way that's actually happened and the and the backwards covering him up that's that's in the book too but he just like he didn't do anything for me and it just made me dislike him with every frame. It just got worse. Yeah. See, I don't think Russell – I think Russell Crowe is, is overrated. Um, and that, I don't really – I didn't like – I haven't liked him in anything I've seen him in lately. I didn't even like him in this or Man of Steel or Lame Is. I mean, everything I see him in, I just like him less and less. We had this discussion when when we saw Man of Steel and I said exactly the same thing, which is that he always – um, brings takes me along in, on the journey of his character, but he didn't at this time. This brings me to another sin, in fact, of this movie, which is that it's boring. It is I boring. I first looked at my watch, not 10 minutes in. I think the most boring passages are the long, dark bits on the arc, but even before then, there's a lot of boring stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, the... <laughs> The um all the rock monster stuff with the family at the beginning is. Boring. I quite like the fallen angel rock monsters. Mm. I think they're interesting fantasy characters, mm. and I would have been interested in them. And Methuselah was kind of interesting as well, if also kind of annoying, which is Anthony Hopkins' character who was Noah's grandfather, because he is sort of less, even though he's in that same family line, he's a lot less obsessively like good. Dogmatic. In a way, dogmatic, yeah. Yeah, he's willing. He's like willing to ask questions and open to different interpretations, which, of course, the whole rest of Noah's family is shown as being much more open-minded. They're all they're – I don't know. Both the sons are to... super subservient and his wife is pretty subservient. But she – yeah, unless – Only Ham questions anything until – That's not true. No. They wait, all I of haven't... them have ch- – when, when the kids are threatened. I haven't finished yet. Until Shem's kids are threatened, he doesn't stand up to Noah at all, right? He's the oldest boy. Yeah. Right. Japheth, who's the youngest boy, is just a child, so he literally – I don't think he has a line. I think there's a conversation between the wife and Noah when there is when the people come to their camp. Like, I think the rest of the 
at least that was my interpretation. The family were at least questioning him on that. Like, why can't we save some of these people? Why do we? Well, his wife does a little bit, but you never hear Shem or or Japheth do anything. I'm not sure Japheth has a line. Yeah, I don't think Japheth has any lines because children in movies are useless. Hmm. It's actually when they were, even the older two, when they were little boys, said things. Hmm. And Ham, of course, was questioning even when he was a little boy because he's the bad one. Yeah, that's right. And that's so. Because he dared to question why they were vegetarian. He dared to question why they were vegetarian. He dared to question his dad on a lot of things like, why did you let that girl that I liked die? Why can't I go and meet other people? Uh, why can't I ever fall in love? Um, why can't, you know, all of these things that are perfectly normal things for a, like, whatever, 15, 16-year-old yeah. boy to be thinking about. Mm-hmm. You know, like, he's not unreasonable. He's quite a reasonable character. And when his dad just, like, shuts him down and orders him around, for some reason he's kind of attracted to this other person who sometimes listens to him. It's wacky. Uh, who knew? Um, who knew? And, and then- the other person, of course, is Ray Winston, who is, I swear, like, just taken out of a London gangland movie, like a London gangland sort of flick, not even like a big movie, and just placed in this one with his accent and his yeah. rage. And he is On the so King Roundy parts. So funny that, like, I think he might have been my favorite part of the movie just because I was laughing so much when he was in it. I really, yeah, I quite liked him too. And the whole sneaking onto the ark thing, I was like, that that was actually kind of interesting. Yeah, and also just any kind and of his agitation, awesome just, little beard. Oh my god, and these super long hair extensions. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, just any kind of agitation to bloody Noah and his complete bullheadedness was just welcome. I'm the man. I get to do, make the decisions for everyone. Yeah. I don't know, he was awful. Like, I just, it set my teeth on edge. By the end of the movie, I was like, somebody stab Noah. I was really rooting for Ela and then Watson's character to stab Noah. <laughs> just kill him. You're on the beach together. Nobody will see. Yeah. Nobody will know. Drown him in the water. Nobody will notice. Uh. His hair is so bad right now that I'm sure they won't mind not seeing him anymore. Not. I just. Yeah, so uh, when, like, Ray Winston and um Anthony Hopkins playing Odin Methuselah. They were he were they were actually good because they just injected a bit of like stop being such a dick Noah into it, mm. and that was just a bit boring. And it's really, it's so long. It's two hours and fifteen minutes. Or so. I had so many thoughts watching it. Like this is not how you make changes. You have to make changes from a ground level and social like and you know so um, society wide <laughs> changes, and you have to like instigate and you have to change people's minds, but also try and help individual people who are being hurt by this system. And like I, oh, this sweetie. is what I was thinking. I know it's crazy of me because it's obviously based on the bible where all of the decisions are "Mm, i don't like this i'm just going to erase it and start over well that's right things in the bible are big and sweeping but But it's like yeah i just got frustrated with it i mean the flood looked good but there were other cg bits that were terrible Mm. like you didn't notice the baby no well no to be fair i know i saw that something was wrong but i couldn't quite work out what the i saw that Mm. really like really saw that Mm. Um, it it really annoyed me in that scene, but also the scenes of the animals that are really terribly CG. Mm. Mm-hmm. The rock monsters looked good and the flood looked good, but there were other bits that looked really terrible. Actually, the best effects in the movie I thought were practical. Like there's this photo montage animation thing of the river being yeah, there's um this... being built up like yeah, growing, yeah, yeah. and I that's, loved that. That's the Aronofsky and stuff. 
even having seen as few Aronofsky's as I have, I instantly recognize those bits as his style. There's a bit where we have a telling of the creation story and that's like this sort of stop motion photography thing. But it's also evolution. Yes, we do. Yeah, it, it tells, well, it tells the creation story, but it when the animals and the humans are created, it's done so, so it looks like um, evolution as we understand it Even today. Even before then, it's like it's the Big Bang and like oh, okay. the way that he shows it. I see. I didn't bang. notice it until we saw the animals crawl out of the um, water. Anyway, deliberately designed to needle the more fundamentalist parts, sec- segments of his audience. But again, that visual. But the more important, what I was talking about, more the visual style. That's very Aronofsky. And then the whole thing where you keep seeing flashes of the snake and the apple in the garden, exploring from my limited perspective what I know he's very interested in: ideas about life and death and cycles and the way humans live and die and start again and all that kind of stuff renewal rebirth which is of course what the whole noah story is about yeah um except that they didn't really explore those things no he would have all of those interesting things were shunned to decide in favor of weird environmentalist messages vegan messages and messages about how women are baby machines Mm. which was frustrating i don't know that the evolution thing was designed to needle fundamentalists i think that's a byproduct of it but i think I think Aronofsky genuinely believes in the Bible. Okay, and so, but he and, he also believes in science, and that yes, the God created think, the world, but it it happened like this. Which yes, is, to me, that's what I think is the fairly mainstream Christian view. Um, that's my yeah. understanding of yeah. what he did. There was for him, it was putting together the two ideas, mm. right? Like merging the two ideas and. Um, making sense of it for him as a Christian, mm-hmm. not designed to annoy creationists. I think that's just a byproduct of yeah, it. Yeah. I don't think that he was purposefully trying to be controversial. Yeah. I think he was, like, to me, this seems like him making sense of the Noah story, but also trying to make it into a blockbuster. Mm. And it's the making it into a blockbuster that I actually had problems with. If it had just been him trying to make sense of the Bible through making a movie, it might have been better mm. because it might not have had all of the horrible sexism, the terrible CG, the bad storytelling and stuff. It might have just been a sort of meditative movie yeah, he, like if, The Fountain kind of is. Yeah, and in that case, it would have been a lot more interesting. It would have been slow. It would have been very arty and it would have been very niche. But And then that's actually something I thought when I was driving home afterwards is that perhaps these ideas that he wants to explore when he looks at this story. And, of course, Noah's an important story because it's the Old Testament mirror to the New Testament uh, resurrection, which is, of course, the key part of Christianity. And so it's obviously a very important story to be examined from the point of view of someone who is religious or someone who is interested in our human myth-making and Western culture and all that kind of stuff. I I feel like it might have been better suited to another art form like he could have explored this through visual art, might have worked differently, or d- just but something. even just like a really sort of arty niche for movie would have been okay. Mm. But um, he was trying to bring back. I think he was trying to do that, but he also was able to get enough money to kind of. I'm going to bring back the biblical epic, which is yeah. I don't know. Bring trying to bring back the biblical ep- epic with this movie doesn't seem that useful there's also the whitewashing issues oh yeah we haven't even talked that's like that's almost not even the biggest problem with it but yes and that's the biggest problem because you start from this point of view where everybody in what is modern day palestine and israel is apparently not well it could be anywhere it could be anywhere but that doesn't matter the first people were apparently white and western looking because yes 
obviously. That's more the issue is that like everybody in biblical times was white. Black people There's no been reason for yet. that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which is like idiotic from most points of view. White people like, you know, evolved from darker skinned people and then adapted to Europe. But anyway, even if that's not the case, it's still really racist. Mm-hmm. to assume that everybody in biblical times is white, especially to think that for some reason one of them is Ray Winston. <laughs> like, why would he be in this? Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. Well, and, and especially because Emma Watson's character is the mother of the Jewish tr- people because mm. the Jews are called the Semites, yeah, as in and the sons not- of Shem. And so the Jewish people... <laughs> Shemites. The Shemites, yes, the, which becomes the Semites. Don't ask me why. Talk to your biblical translator on that one. But... It, they become Shemite sounds kind of funny. Yeah. But anyway, Shem is the father of the Jewish people. Emma Watson's character is the mother of the Jews. So the Jewish people aren't white. No. Cult, uh, like Jewish. And um, what's the other kid? Japheth? I think Japheth is the father of the Egyptians, also not white. And Ham is somebody else as well. Uh, maybe it's Ham is the father of the Egyptians. I, I did read this like a day ago. I've forgotten. See, you know what's a really good biblical epic that's kind of underrated? Yeah. The Prince of Egypt. Yes, that's an excellent movie, and it's you a little like bit it, racist and, and Christians sexist, like it, but it's, it's it still has its yeah. issues. It has some good songs. It has that awesome scene with the like giant whale as they walk through when he parts the seas. Yeah. You know, when they walk through and it has the big and it has actual genuine moral issues that are more interestingly mm. explored than in Noah, like when he um, when the, all the firstborns die. Yeah, and it's. As it's as much as a result of their actions, like he was trying to stop that from happening, mm. and then he still feels really terrible that it's happening, and um, especially watching his brother and all that sort of stuff. I mean, it's really mm. much more interesting. Yeah, in a lot of ways, that was a really good movie. Yes, it was, and a lot less racist than this because it actually, you know, the people who were drawn in it are Egyptian. Yes, they were appropriate, the appropriate race for their people. Yeah, so I just I was basically correct in what I I said, but but essentially Noah's. And Noah's sons repopulated the area we currently know as the Middle East and North mm. Africa. So to assume that he was white and that everyone around him was, that's ridiculous. It's, it's super, yeah. super racist. Yeah. And it's also, it's not just sexist in the baby machine thing. There's no other, like there's one other girl who is fridged. Yep. And there's no other women. Mm-hmm. And the women that are there, like Noah's wife is incredibly submissive to him. Yeah. Like, just to the point of she just follows him well, almost blindly. Okay, that's not really true because she really stands up to him towards the end. She does towards the end, but like she's shown all the, like that's I think that's her character journey. She learns to stand up to her husband. Yeah. Mm. Well, kind of. I mean, she doesn't really unless until her grandbabies are threatened mm. and her kids don't get to yeah. live. Like, you mm. know, it's really, really. Yeah, her whole purpose and is being a mother. Yeah, and yes, true. And then there's the problem of how it writes itself into a corner at the end by sending Ham off on his own, wifeless and alone. Now, the thing is, and this is really icky, but the only way that those two boys end up repopulating the earth is that they marry their nieces, right? Those twin girls. Well, that was going to happen, anyway. and that's the oh, yeah, that's what's overtly implied because all because. They made a writing decision to kill off or just not even have wives for those two well, boys. Yeah, but then, like, if you go with the biblical version, they all repopulated with their cousins anyway. Yeah, that doesn't matter. But they had wives who weren't their niece. Yeah, they, well, yes, there is all of that. <laughs> like, Adam and Eve had all the. Still super incestuous. Yeah, Adam and Eve had the three sons that they talk about plus other children. So clearly they all 
you know, reproduce with their own sisters. And then the, this is only like 10 generations later, so it can't be – they're probably all still fairly interrelated. But because they don't want to go into the ickiness of those boys marrying their – or, you know, ha- um, having children with their own nieces, then they have him walk off on his own, except that then – this is one of these things where, like how in, in certain adaptations of Harry Potter, they stuff things up for later on down the track, like yeah. when they where they forget to put in something about the Marauders that then means that something else doesn't make sense further down the track. And it's a bit like that. Or the house elves. Yeah, the, or the house elves because what they've done is this is now basically alternate universe fan fiction. All the Horcruxes. Yeah. The whole sixth movie was so bad. Exactly. The, it, things where they, they just cut something out because for narrative efficiency and for narrative efficiency it makes sense for Ham to strike out on his own, but it, it doesn't actually work in the broader they, context of Ham actually goes out and starts his own life with a, a part, with a wife. They do they, sort of imply that he's going to come back. Yeah. But it is it's, – it's But they've just icky. written themselves into these corners with that just because they didn't want – and the thing is, if they'd just given them wives in the first place or, or had some kind of story there about them finding wives from among the other population, then – we wouldn't have had that that really obvious ickiness. Like, yes, if you were a biblical scholar, you would have known that they were probably some kind of distant cousins. But no, no, it's no. Not obvious. They still would have ended up marrying their cousins because the three brothers are brothers. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. But that's but then <laughs> they still would have ended yeah, up yeah, repopulating yeah. with their first cousins, right? And rather they, than their nieces. But I mean, that's how it works. So that's how the Bible story works. They start they start with only two people, and so they so well. There you go. Maybe canon wrote itself into a corner. I don't know, but it's just. It is it is a bit icky and you don't want to have to think too much hard about it. But then it it's kind of like if they'd just given them, you know, adult women from among the group of people who were killed, well, it they wouldn't would have had to also then have wouldn't have been so be icky. an adult. Well, or not adult, like teenage women from among that group. Mm. Well, but again, like that's the whole thing. Noah's asked to take Noah's picked Twin because he has but because he has three sons and the sons are all married. Like he's picked because he could still have more children and because he's got sons who can have more children. Anyway. Oh, just the whole thing was severely problematic. The battle scenes were kind of dumb. The weird Lord of the Ringsy battle scenes, which oh, yeah. I swear every fantasy aspiring movie since Lord of the Rings has had Lord of the Rings battle scenes. Yeah. Like they didn't exist before Lord of the Rings and now they're everywhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah that, that weird stone monster battle scene. Like I liked them, the bits where they went back to heaven. Yeah, but that the rest was great. Of it was boring. I thought that was really good. There's the stone monsters, the stone angels, like redeem themselves. Where did they get the chains from? Who even knows? Well, they're they're shown to be able to be doing rudimentary blacksmith stuff. Where did all the guys who got up onto the boat go? Yeah, well, they, we showed some of them um, being swept off or killed by Noah or killed by Shem. I think I just it was a mess. But there were a couple of things that I liked in it. I want to give it a lower mark than I did now. Every time I talk about it, I like it less. Yeah, I. <laughs> Yeah, this, that was it with me too. I didn't enjoy it while I was watching it. And then in the talking about it and pulling it apart, I like it less. I think the thing that got me was that Emma Watson genuinely moved me. There mm. were some really pretty shots in it. Yeah. And the Stone Angels were super cool. And there's something about ambitious movies like this. That there's something about someone actually deciding to take something that's not popular or done very often anymore and trying to put their own spin on it. There is, and I uh, I appreciate but then, that, but like, then I, it's so undercut by all the horrible sexism mm-hmm. and racism and that. And I know it's all about, you know, this is how Hollywood works. And I'm like, just because it worked like that before doesn't mean it has to in this movie. Mm-hmm. And this is more sexist than most things. It is super and, horribly sexist. Yeah, and more sexist than the Bible. 
Like, the Bible is the most sexist book we have. It is the patriarchy. That, yeah, exactly. And it manages to be worse than that. Yeah. And the women, the wives are so much, they're just objects, mm-hmm. like owned objects, you know? Yeah. Like, who have, I am a man and this is my wife. I own her. She is mine. Right. It's like I own, well, well it's almost like you have a wife and you own this special skill, child rearing. And mm. that's the only reason you would want to own a wife. And then Ela internalizes that a lot. Yeah, because what well, there's almost they they had this opportunity to make it interesting because she believes she's um unable to have children, and so she's really upset and she offers to give up her spot on the ark. And Russell Crowe, the father-in-law, says, "Oh no, don't do that. That's okay. You were a gift. Yeah, yeah, you were a gift. Which and he, there was a know. really good opportunity there to just, for example, value her as a person." outside of her ability to reproduce and they didn't take it. There were these little bits too, like when they're actually on the ark, she's like, we could drag ropes or something so people could hold on to them and get onto the ark. Yeah, yeah. Because she really wants to help people more than anybody else on the ark. So she, I mean, she's still the most interesting person in there. Her and Ham are like the most interesting people in the movie. Yeah, she's always willing to think for herself but also take a more compassionate view of things. So Mm. she's the one who's trying to make sure that, that they look after Ham. She's she's the one who runs after him when he runs away, and she's oh yeah, and she's also she wants to save people and yeah. And mm. then at the end, she's just basically used for her, and even she gets the best speech right at the end too, with the babies. Yeah, no, no, no. Even oh. after that, on the oh, beach, when she talks to yeah Noah, yeah, on the beach. Um, even though it's stupid about the whole choice thing, yeah, it's still like she's she is the most interesting character, mm. but she is still just a baby machine ultimately. Mm. which is why it's so frustrating. Like, they give her characteristics, but not an actual character in some ways, mm-hmm. because ultimately she's just an object to make more babies. Yeah. And that's her only real purpose. And if she hadn't done that, she still wouldn't have been useful. Yeah. Um, even though she pro- before she knew she could even have children, she proved herself extremely useful. Yes, but, like, ultimately, yeah. that didn't matter. Mm-hmm. That's basically, ultimately, none of that matters if you can't have kids. Mm-hmm. And then also having kids makes you evil. Because he oh, wants yes. to kill the girl. Because well, girls in general are bad. We don't like girls. All girls are bad. Yes, women are original sin. That's that's what it reinforces. Because women are corrupted by having children. Because when they have children, they're more attached to children than God. Because it's not like that makes sense from any kind of standpoint for them to be detached to be to, to be attached to their children. These these tiny vulnerable beings that they've been tasked with protecting. Yeah. Even the end when he does the blessing for the babies and he's like, "Go forth and be fruitful," and I'm like, "Ew! They are tiny, tiny babies. Mm. Why do they have to do that?" And <sighs> again, this is making Noah more powerful than he should be. Like in the Bible, it's Noah who's told to go forth and be fruitful by God. It's not up to him to tell other people to be fruitful. He's just a human. He should be more subservient, and he's not. That was another thing that cracks me up in the movie. I play The Sims Medieval, mm. and in that you're called the Watcher, mm-hmm. and you are the god to like the little The Sims. Yeah. And so they all worship the Watcher, and there's two little factions. Um, one of them is clearly like the Catholic corrupt church who who are obsessed with power and stuff, and the other ones are really, really self righteous. Um, and they're called the Peterans, and they're like you know, um, um, fundamentalists. No, 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 not fundamentalists. Um. When they did the Reformation. Oh, oh, Protestants. Right. So there's the Protestants and Catholics, yep. essentially. And it was really, it's really funny and it's a really interesting, more interesting, I think, take on religion than was in this movie even. But they call you the Watcher and they keep saying these things about the Watcher. And I kept thinking that when they, he was calling him the God the Creator because they never say God in no. this movie. Well, he, yeah. He, they call him the Creator, a, which he, was really amusing to me. 
Yeah, like it, it was... reminded me of the Sims game, and it reminded me of like I, I guess because I don't know, I don't know why they did yeah. that, but it was funny. God is this giant person playing The Sims? Yes, is it? Is because well, there are. I so- have decided I don't like any of you. I'm restarting the game with a flood. The aren't the rock monsters called the Watchers? Yes, that's yeah, right. Yeah. So what the rock monsters are called the Watchers? The little glow cubes are like they're called uh, something, and Jim told me that that was it was something like they're more like pearls of wisdom or something than actual glowy cubes. <laughs> oh, okay. Are they part of, sort of related to the um, the, the soul essence of those, um, the watches? Is that what that, because that to me, that was what I picked up on. I don't know. Was it really? true. To be fair, okay, I missed the first like two minutes of this movie. Oh, you didn't miss um, much. Apparently there was some writing at the beginning. Oh, that was just about the creation story about how uh, Adam and Eve had Cain and Abel, and then Abel killed Cain, and then they had another son, Seth. Yeah, which is basically the genealogy of Noah, which is that Noah is descended from Adam through his son, Seth. That was okay. that was all that was, really. My friend who I saw it with leaned over and whispered to me about how there was all the, the, how there was um, storytelling time before the... Yeah, it was. And the thing is then, but then Russell Crowe on the Ark does story time with everybody. He's yeah. like, I'm going to tell you the story the first, and he tells the creation story again. Just and then for those got, who did in the cheap seats who missed it the first time. And for the the Legolas total package, you actually get a moment where, I mean, not Legolas, Lord of the Rings total package. You get a moment where the guy who played Celeborn in Lord of the Rings, who's Galadriel, Galadriel's husband, oh yeah, um, Martin Sokas, plays Noah's dad. Oh, right. I knew I recognized that. Yeah, I, me a minute. Yeah, yeah. Kevin Durand is also in this movie, who nobody listening is going to know who, who? that is. And um, I'm the only person, I think, who... Who's Kevin Durand? Uh, he play? is. He plays, I think, one of the humans who hunt the weird armadillo dog in the beginning. Kevin Durand is a comedian who often plays thugs. Yep. He was the blob in Wolverine. Uh, he was on Lost mm-hmm. as Martin Kimi, who was one of the most notable sort of oh, I know villain his face. monsters. Yeah. I just looked him up, yeah. I really like him, so I notice him in stuff. Mm. He seems like a very nice guy, but he does he does this really, really good job of playing thugs and stuff mm. because he infuses all of them with like a character. Yeah. Um, and I think that comes from him being a comedian mm. rather than just like being the usual guy that they get to play those thugs. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So they're kind of interesting the way he does them. And he's on Stargate too, which I just saw him on Stargate oh, as, cool. a, um, as a guauld. Yeah, of course. Okay, cool. Yeah. Ah. So random fact mm-hmm. about the movie that you'll probably cut out. But I No, like I, I'm not going to cut that out because I kind of – the thing about movies that we sometimes forget is that every little guy or girl or random henchman or soldier who you see for like – 10 seconds on screen. That person is a working actor who has gone to an audition and probably been past three different committees and read with various people and had gone through all kinds of hoops just to get that tiny little part. And he gets his script and he has to come to the read-throughs and he has to like work on his character. And I, and there's all there's all this stuff behind what ends up being like 10 seconds on screen as a henchman. And I feel like that it's nice to recognize that this guy, at least, does a really good job of that, <laughs> investing yeah. the random henchman with character. I think that's great. He so, really does because he's quite memorable in a lot of things. Yeah. Oh, have you seen that story going around about the girl that where they, they did a table read of something? where the women had most of the lines and one of oh, the yeah. guys was complaining about it being boring and she was like, that's what it's like for actresses. It was Olivia Wilde. Yeah. They did a table read of American Pie where with the, the roles gender swapped mm-hmm. and the actor, the men got bored because mm. their roles were so underwritten. There was something else I was going to say. Oh, okay. Mm. 
The limelight tagline for this movie is better than the movie itself. Are you ready? Tell me. You want a boat? Because we know a guy. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> I know. Okay. Yes, Limelight Cinemas, you win. That's where I saw it, actually. I think Limelight do a really good job of pandering to the nerd community. They're really good cinemas, yes. But if you're a nerd in Canberra, check them out. They're oh, out in Tuggeranong. They have Footloose coming up next weekend. Ooh. And they have all three Back to the Future movies back to back. Oh, coming that's up really soon. exciting. So I thought we might see them, although we won't get a chance to we, review Footloose soon. But We've got know, a we really big month coming up. This week we have Captain America. We've got the Lego movie, which we, because of the stupid way it's being released in Australia, we're, we're going to review it when it comes out this week, but we're probably not going to put the episode up for a couple of weeks. Uh, we've got Spider-Man coming up. We've got the anniversary of Mean Girls coming up, which we're going to review. So, like, Throw it on the list. We have a we have a spreadsheet of movies. We will probably get to it, and we we might we might not. We'll see how we go. But that's mm. a that, yeah. But no, I really like Limelight. They're really good, and if you are a Canberra nerd, they're a good cheap place to see nerdy films. And it's like specifically eighties month or eighties classics. Mm. You know, time lately, and you know how much I love my eighties movies. So, do you want to reassess your grade? What what grade are you going to give it? <sighs> um, I've been giving it two stars. The thing is, I kind of feel bad about giving this a lower rating than Pompeii, which was just bad and not not at all ambitious, but mm-hmm. so much more fun to watch than this. So I feel like just to even it out, I'm sticking with two. Yep. I think I'm going to give it two as well. My husband decided this deserved like minus two and a half. He hated it so much, but I'm not going to be that hyperbolic about it. I think there is some merit in it. I think if you're an Aronofsky fan, you might enjoy it more than we did, and so I think I will stick with the two stars as well. No, you know what? I'm dropping it. I'm giving it one and a half stars. Okay. I'm angry at the moment. So yes. I'm taking an extra half star off it for just for all of the sexism. Um. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening to Silver Screen Queens. If you want to read our show notes or find old episodes or find out more about us, you can do that on our website, which is silverscreenqueens.com. If you want to read Katie's review of this, some scathing thousand-word epic, I'm sure. 700-word. 700-word epic. You can do that on her blog, which is silverscreenqueen.wordpress.com. If you want to get in touch with us, you can find us on Twitter at screen underscore queens. We have a Facebook page, Silver Screen Queens, which you can like and come and find us there. And we also have a Tumblr, tumblr.silverscreenqueens.com. Thanks for listening. Bye. See you next time.